0: What is up, guys? My name is KJ, and this is Why Theology. And we're back with a uh, part two of our um, chapter five of the Confession. Uh, last week, um, I didn't notice at the time, but Zoom only let you record like forty minutes, and so we all got kicked out. But now we're back again, and we're going to try to continue where we left off. Um, you guys remember um, my special guests? I have Mr. Luke Cox and Mr. Jacob Shiro. Can you guys please introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Luke. Good
1: to be back again. Yeah, I'm Jacob be
0: back i didn't notice at the time mr jacob he was wearing a chicago bears hat my favorite team is a green bay so hopefully he don't he don't stop liking me no more but i think i think i'm good <laughs> no but um last week we kind of left off where we're talking about the confessions in particular baptist and um you guys kind of like summarize like maybe one sentence you know the purpose of a confession again for like some of our listeners maybe a sentence in a comma <laughs> yeah the,
1: i mean a purpose could be to defend the truth of God's word, which is the only inspired and valuable rule involved saving faith and knowledge, as the confession says. Gotcha.
2: Yeah, confessions are helpful insofar as it makes it very clear as to uh what we believe, what our church teaches, um, and the fact that our uh views of scripture are uh They are historical views. It's not, uh, you know, doctrine and theology is not just the work of the individual, but it's the work of the church. And these are uh, convictions that we've reached as a result of, you know, hundreds of years of church history of reflecting on the word of God. I know a lot
0: of times too, kind of what you guys just said what our confession kind of does is rooted in all these other ancient confessions what's like the westminster confession um the canons of Dort, uh the belgian confession like all of our our confession is kind of borrowing this language from all these other historical you know creeds and confessions but like so i think you guys remember too like the, the baptists were showing that we're in agreement with our reformed brethren but this is kind of what we differ as you guys know those issues that we do differ but for the most part if you got to look at the Westminster Confession and compare it the two, it's very similar in the chapter. But like, there is some differences. But it's kind of like a, a reason why it's structured like this because I, you know, particularly Baptist brethren, they were trying to show these guys that we are in agreement with you people, with you guys. Okay? <laughs> so last week, we left off on chapter, um, you know, five, paragraph four. And the end of that chapter, again, is dealing with how God's not like the author is sin. And we kind of talked about that, you know, earlier in the episode. We kind of say that God is the primary cause of all things, but He uses secondary causes for His glory, and He does it sinlessly. And a perfect example of that is like with Job again, God was the author, i the author, He was the primary cause of allowing the devil to tempt Job, but the devil was a secondary cause going to Job and actually doing those actions. But God, at any moment, could have prevented those things, but He chose to allow it. That's kind of how God works out, you know, the evil here in our lives today, even when suffering. he allowed all these things and he's sovereign that any moment he can prevent them but he chooses to allow them and that's his sovereignty, that's his providence that's how he works out his providence in creation but in paragraph five let's kind of talk about this real quick it states this the most wise righteous and gracious God does oftentimes leave for a season his own children to manifold temptations and the corruptions of their own hearts to chastise them for their former chastise them for their former sins. So what's kind of going on here? It don't sound so good so far that we gotta be chastised, but it is good that it does happen. I just hate that it does happen because we I know we all hate sin probably but what kinda of going on here? I
2: think this yeah. is uh beginning to remind us that everything that god does um you know including suffering and trials and temptations it's all the work of a personal god um and uh it may appear and truly be that in times it seems like when we commit sins that god leaves us uh, at least for a time in our sins, um, to chastise us, to correct us, to discipline us, to make us see how bad sin is. Uh, now, we know that with whatever God does, he's good. So when he, does, when he does that to his children, when he does that to his church, he's not doing it as a means of uh, condemnation and judgment and pouring out his wrath on those he has purchased He's not doing that, but he is uh, doing it in such a way that is uh, corrective discipline.
0: It kind of oftentimes remind me of, um, it's, of course, we always say that, like, you know, any kind of human illustration kind of like it doesn't always correlate to kind of how God works. But it kind of reminds me, like, um, as us as children, you know, sometimes our parents, they always knew what was best, but they allowed certain things to kind of teach us the hard way. Well, in certain sense, that's kind of how God does it a little bit he's already, he's like infinite wisdom. He knows all things at all times, always. But for us, he uses kind of our sin, like this kind of confession states to chastise us in shape and conform us more like Jesus. He kind of teaches that way as well. What would you think, Mr. Jacob?
1: Yeah. So God, he works in every aspect of our life. And this, this chapter or this this uh, paragraph is more geared towards the believer. Uh, we should distinguish that. This the next paragraph speaks of the unbelievers. This paragraph speaks about the believer, and it's the believer who is not punished indefinitely. Uh, and, and really, we're not punished. Um, it's more of a chastising. It's a fatherly discipline where God uses it to grow us closer to him, as the paragraph later goes on to say.
0: I know like for a lot of us, we hate that, you know, it would have to be like this because like all of us we have this legalistic mindset and we we'll never want to sin again. Which is good because you know that's God changing our heart that shows us that, you know, at one point we used to love sin, but now God has changed all our desires. For his desires, but at times we still struggle with sin. In those moments, I guess the confession kind of reminded us and encouraging us that you know, God is using this to shape and conform us more like Jesus. And so, even though it can be hard at times, you know, like I said, nobody wants to sin. Of course, we do these things not by robots. We have a choice now that we didn't have. But for us as Christians, it's kind of a reminder. Now, um, this next part again, it says, the chastised them for their former sins. And then it says, or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and the secretness of their hearts. So is it possible that we as believers can still be deceived?
2: <laughs> yeah, to a certain extent. Absolutely.
1: Yep.
0: So um, it's kind of, you know, a good topic. I don't know how you guys think about this, but like, is the devil able to like deceive us today? And of course, we know he's bound in this sense. He can't keep Gentiles from, or, you know, the church from coming in within the church, you guys know, but is he still able to deceive us? Is our heart still able to deceive us?
2: To an extent, um, I mean, throughout this entire life, we're going to be struggling with sin, temptation, we'll be Wrestling with the flesh, the world, and the devil, um, but at the same time, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. So, whatever ability that the devil has to tempt us and to lead us into uh, sin, it's it's powerless um, if we turn to Christ instead.
0: Spot on. Spot on now um i guess that too like you know i guess um i think it was the first corinthians 13 paul talks about he had a thorn in his flesh tormenting him from satan and then he was saying that like the reason of this thorn is like you know in his weakness god's strength may be made perfect well in the same way that kind of correlates to us as well because we know that like you know if we were less than like we got saved and we never sin again here on this life because of like our mindset we probably be i guess become prideful thinking that we don't need God. But it's confession, again, it's kind of reminding the believer that, hey, your heart is still you know wicked. The only thing that's different from you and a believer is you know Jesus now. And we have the Holy Spirit, but you still have this flesh that you have to deal with. And so God's kind of, he's kind of reminding us. So in a certain sense, it's kind of humbling us, I guess, to, I guess a reminder. What would you guys think, though, or say?
1: Yeah, it, it talks about how we're shown the corruption of our own heart. Um, oftentimes, we, when we fall into certain sins, we get desensitized to it. And, and then when God starts to show us what we're doing, uh, we see how bad we really are. And, and um, we're different from unbelievers in that we are regenerate. If we're believers, we're regenerate. And so we won't be left in that state. We don't want, deep down, we don't wanna sin against God, but then in another sense, we do. Uh, it's it's a difficult uh, you know, teeter-totter there, but God shows us our sin and we mourn for that. We think about David in Psalm 51, um, have mercy upon me, O Lord. Um, From my mother's womb, I was born in iniquity. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And that's what happens when the believer comes to a conviction of his sin. He sees how evil that he could be. even, And it even shows us what we could have been without God's grace. And Mm. God preserves us from that, thankfully.
0: Amen, amen. The next part, too, we kind of hinted at it, but it says... He allows this right here, the deceitfulness of their hearts so that they may be humbled and to raise them more close and constant dependence for their support upon himself and to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin and for other just and holy ends so that whatsoever befalls any of his elect uh, is by his appointment for his glory and their good. Um, We kind of hinted at it, but what's kind of going on there?
2: I mean, Romans eight twenty eight. 28, uh, God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Um, so when God has in his providence allowed for, uh, you know, sin to war against us, that's ultimately in order that we would grow in holiness in Christ so that we would see the remaining corruption within us so that we would see that we still need more grace from him um and that we would still bring glory to god as we're crucifying our flesh
0: it kind of uh, brings me back i keep on quoting it but the rc sproul quotes about like evil and good again he said that uh, you know good is not evil and evil is not good but it is good that evil exists otherwise it would not be now, in a broad sense, we know why, you know, what Arsis Pro supposed talking about, that God uses all evil for his glory. Well, in a specific sense, for us as believers, that's a reminder, too, that, like, even this evil that's, you know, I guess, currently reigning in our life. We're not reigning, but still indwelling us as believers. Ultimately, Christ is, like, the, he's already won the battle. And so, like, 10 years for 15 years, and Lord willingly, in the sins that we struggle with now, it may be not the same, you know, in that time frame. But ultimately, when we die. We'll never have to worry about sins again. But for right now, um, I guess what God allowing us, you know, to sin within His providence, it kind of keeps us humble and dependent on Him. Now, Mr. Jacob said too that like this paragraph specifically, you know, paragraph five was you know, I guess geared towards believers. Well, let's kind of look at the paragraph six geared towards unbelievers. Um, paragraph six starts off by saying this: As for those wicked and ungodly men whom God as the righteous judge for former sin does blind and harden. So I kind of hinted at this guys, but how does God harden work? We guys know in Romans nine and classic example, you know, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, but how does that kind of work out and unfold in scripture or even today?
1: I mean, if you look back at the Exodus narrative, there's, it, it does say that both God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and Pharaoh hardened his own heart, and so you have the primary and secondary causes that we talked about in the last episode um, working together, and so we can't exactly know how God works in all things, but the, the example of Pharaoh is a good one, that you see both the primary and the secondary cause of God and Pharaoh hardening Pharaoh's heart, and it's for the purpose that God's Glory will be shown through all the earth, as Romans and Exodus say.
2: Yeah, um, Romans 1 comes to mind where sometimes uh, God judges the wicked by giving them over to their sinful desires. Uh, Again, keeping in mind God's sovereignty, God is the one who's handing them over to their sinful desires but we also have human freedom. It's their desires. They want to sin. Um, so yeah, God is, God is doing the judging. God is doing the blinding and the hardening and we are taking that with everything that we've got. Like, (laughs) I mean, yeah, just primary and secondary causes.
0: I think, too, um, R.C. Sproul has a book, I think it's called Chosen by God. He kind of deals with that issue a little bit. He kind of talks about how, like, um, we think about, like, you know, evil. We speak of, like, total depravity. We speak that, you know, mankind by nature is, like, wicked and, like, unable to come to God. But doesn't mean that we're as evil as we can be. Well, we know that's true because, I like, God, in a certain extent, he has restraints on evil within the world. And at any moment he would kind of i guess release those restraints we all would destroy ourselves but like god his mercy is like holding back restraints we have like you know police officers we have laws we have a lot of things that god uses to kind of restrain evil well in a certain extent i think rc Sproul explains like god hardened someone's heart is god i guess um releasing those restraints and kind of doing what jacob said now mr luke said giving someone over to their own desires and those own desires in a certain extent it kind of hangs the person and that is destroyed ultimately by their own desires. If God would release those restraints in this in a sense, it kind of makes sense. What do you guys think?
2: Yeah, I agree. Uh, God makes the rain to fall on the just and on the unjust. Uh, he, he does good even to the wicked. Um, but there will come a day where uh You know, the wicked will die in their sins one day if they do not trust in Christ. And if they end up in hell because they die outside of Christ, because they die in their sins, uh, hell is a place where there is no common grace. Mm -hmm. Um, God withdraws all of his good gifts from them. Uh, And so we shouldn't confuse uh, some of the good gifts that God has for us today with his Uh, eternal, unconditional love that can only be found in Christ.
1: Yeah, and uh, unbelievers should not um, resign themselves to just say that, well, if God doesn't want me to to be a Christian, what's the point in believing? Uh, That's not how Jesus Christ handled the situation. If you remember in Matthew 11, um he declares that you know no one comes to the father but by the son and and vice versa and and, but he doesn't go on to say and now just hope that you're elect or hope that you're saved (laughs) thankfully he doesn't say that he says come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and i will give you rest don't presume that you're just, you're not elect just because God is sovereign and that you can't really make a choice. That's not how the Bible handles this. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Um, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved.
0: I think oftentimes too, I think Spurgeon was preaching a sermon. You guys know the Beat- not to be at a tube but a sermon on the Mount. There's a particular verse, I think it's Matthew 7, verse 13 to 15 talks about how like, you know, narrow, it's the gate to heaven and broad as the gate to hell. Oftentimes we think that like in the end when everything's finished, there'll be more people in hell than there is in heaven. But what Spurgeon was saying is they like, by no means, if that's the case, it would show sure that the devil won. But ultimately we get to heaven, there's gonna be so many people in heaven compared to not people in hell because God ultimately is gonna win. And so kind of how you say, Mr. Jacob, like don't by no means assume that you're not elect because you never know. Yes, it is true that here on this life, there are more people probably going to hell than heaven because narrow is the gate. But all those who come to Jesus and rest in him and place their faith in him, that is salvation. it kind of reminds me of that. Now, another, I guess, example too, you guys remember the story of the prodigal son. A lot of times we'll think about this, but like in that story, he should, uh, the prodigal son destroyed himself because God, he wanted desire, he wanted like um the blessing, like the money, whatever. And the father gave it to him and when he got his desires in his heart, it destroyed him and he came running back. So like for us as believers, I believe God, like kind of he talked about God does that for us, but like we're always kind of running back. But for the unbeliever today, maybe you're still stuck in sin. So I would encourage you guys to run to the cross. And that's what really a true repentance. It's not a turning from like ungodliness to being godly, but it's turning from ungodliness straight to God. And God's the one that helps us with our sin versus us trying to like do it ourselves. But I guess I'm trying to encourage him. But let me uh, finish this prayer guy before we get kicked off again. <laughs> so after we talk about, you know, God's hardening the heart, the confession states that from them, he not only withhold his grace, whereby he may have been enlightened in their understanding, but he wrought upon their hearts, but sometimes also withdraw the gifts which they had and expose them to such objects as corruptions, makes occasion of sin. Now, what do you guys think that mean? I'm reading from like the you know the original these and D's language, but what do you guys kind of think about that?
1: So I think we're reminded of the Potter and Clay references um, from Romans. Uh, because it, in the, the last sentence it says, "so that they harden themselves in response to the same influences that God uses to soften others," and so it's kind of like you know the, the rays of the sun; it it softens some and it hardens others. Um, and and, and uh, so the preaching of the gospel for believers it softens their hearts. It's it's, it's a uh, what's the reference in Second Corinthians? It's a uh, a, a, a vapor of life or whatever. Um, yeah, it's a scent of life for those who believe, but it's a scent of death to those who don't believe. It's the yeah. same gospel being preached. It's the same Christ. It's the same message of salvation. And yet it hardens some people's hearts and it softens others. And mm-hmm. they do that according to their own will. They, those who harden themselves to the gospel, they want to. They don't want to believe, and they they do need God to soften their hearts. But they won't be judged, you know, based on you know arbitrary standards. That they, they won't be judged based on something they couldn't do. They'll be judged on whether they believe or not. Hmm. So that's what comes to my mind.
2: I don't know. Thinking about the uh, Lord's Prayer. One of the things we pray about is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, and we pray this because you know we, we want to do what's good and well-pleasing in God's eyes. But also, according to this paragraph, that is one of the ways that God judges the weak, judges the wicked by allowing them to fall into temptation.
1: Mm.
0: Let's uh, finish off this paragraph. It states in our confession that he gives them over to their own lust, the temptation of the world, and the power of Satan, whereby it comes to pass that they harden themselves under those means which God uses for softening others. And kind of, you guys kind of both talked about that. And so I kind of uh, go to paragraph seven. We kind of talked about that. Mr. Jacob did an excellent job describing that. Now, this last paragraph is only a few sentences, so that's a good thing for us. But <laughs> it states this as a providence of God does in a general reach to all cre- creatures. So after a more special manner, it take care of his church and exposes all things to the good, therefore. So
2: what's kind of going on there? I think it's trying to end the paragraph on a pastoral note. Um, you know, God's providence extends to everything. Uh, extends to, you know, every atom of creation, uh, for all time and all places, but He has a special care for those whom He loves, for His elect, for those who have been uh, purchased through Jesus Christ, um, and so it's it's not just, uh, you know, God causes. Uh, The righteous to walk upright but also he takes special attention to do so um so i i I think uh what i'm getting at is paragraph seven is talking about uh, the special love and care that god has for his church for individual believers
0: kind of reminds me what jacob said earlier how like you know god's relational he's not just deistic that he just kind of, you know, he has us saved and he abandons us, but no, he's, he's helping us and God doesn't walking us through this as life here as believers.
1: Yeah, if your doctrine of providence does not lead to the comforting thing we just read, then your, doc- your doctrine of providence is off. Um, <laughs> if it doesn't lead to you glorifying God for his grace and his mercy and, and his preserving of you, you've you got it wrong. Uh, if if all you can dwell on is you know these deep theological and they're important things philosophical like problem evil all that stuff and and, and you don't get to the comfort if you don't get to the um like how does this apply to the cancer patient how does this apply to somebody who just lost their child Uh, and this uh this paragraph gives us comfort that God preserves his people and that if you're in Christ you, you have a good future even if it's not good on this earth hmm. I think reflecting on this doctrine would necessarily
2: uh, compel us to praise and worship and thanksgiving um, because he's relational because he does what he does because he loves us
0: I know oftentimes, um, I know you guys had the same experience, but when I kind of got introduced to form theology, it was like I was born again all over again, because like I understood like God's sovereignty. And like, it's kind of what you guys are both saying, like the comfort of knowing that God is sovereign, it, it just kind of makes you relax. Like I don't have to be, you know, scratched out about, you know, X, Y, and Z. I can relax it. You know, my God, who's a God of providence, is going to take care of me. And even all things that may be quote unquote bad, that I may think is bad, such as suffering or evil. God is using all those things for his glory. Now, we talked about, you know, God's elect, you know, him having, you know, we, we know as Christians that God has elect and he has unelect, but the gospel message we preach to all people not knowing who's going to be saved, but in like two minutes, if someone were to die today and they were to die in their sins, that the Bible says they go to hell, but for people here on, you know, here on earth that may be lost, they have the opportunity to hear the gospel right now, what is the gospel for someone that's lost out there?
1: Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and that those who believe on him, they will be saved and that um, God, Jesus will not turn away a a genuine seeker. He will not turn you away if you come to him and believe and put your faith completely in him alone for salvation. In his providence he has
2: uh, given us in overabundance every good and perfect gift um that we experience and we have taken all these good things of god and we have only used them to blaspheme against them to rebel against his creation and to establish ourselves as idols um and so we've taken god's good gift of providence, and we we've tarnished it we've trampled on it we've treated it like it was nothing and We've offended God for that reason, and the wrath of God is abiding on those who uh, are not in Christ. And we all have to answer for our sin one day, and we will either have to answer for our sin by suffering the wrath of a, of a holy God eternally in hell, or we can look to the Lord Jesus Christ who died for his church and recognized that our sin debt was paid on the cross. And in God's providence, He has brought you here today to hear this message of salvation. And His command is that you would repent of your sins and believe the gospel and to walk in holiness.
0: Excellent, man. It's both you guys. Excellent. You know, that's the only reason we're, you know, you guys all in Louisville, Kentucky, but we're able to do this podcast episode because what, what unites us is the gospel message in Jesus Christ. And so all of us. Everyone who believes that message will all be united in heaven, ultimately at the end of our lives. But how much comfort is it for those out there? You know, the world says, you know, to put your rest in all these things, you know, in this, you know, money and drugs and sex and movies and all these things. But the Bible says true rest is found in Christ and only Christ is able to truly satisfy us. And so. That's the gospel message. So, thank you guys. It's always a blessing. You guys had you guys on here. I know we got canceled last time, but it's okay though. It's okay. We we finished it. Thank you guys for coming to help me, guys. You have any last words
2: though before we got here? Yeah, thanks for having us on. It's been a blast.
1: Yep, it was a lot of fun. It's a great topic. One of the best in the in the confession.
0: Thank you guys so much. I'm definitely gonna have you guys on again though. <laughs> That'd be great. yep you All right, y'all have a good one, man.
1: You too.